it's podcasting time. This is Just Another Jerk, Dispatches from Japan. I'm your host, Jonathan Isaacson. Subscribe wherever it is you get your podcast. Rate, review, and share. Now, boom, let's get into the story right away. So, it's June of 1946 in Tokyo. Shibuya, to be precise. Now, it's less than a year since the end of World War II, and Japan is still in a pretty messed up state. Now, we won't get into a whole lot of details about World War II and the immediate post-war era in Japan, but we do need to talk a little bit about you know, some of the things that happened in that war. Now, I think most people in the U.S., and I imagine a lot of the English-speaking world, learn a lot more about the war in Europe than the war in Asia. I mean, quite frankly, the two were, they were just separate wars that happened to be going on at the same time. I mean, sure, the Axis powers, you know, they'd formed an alliance and all that, but Italy and Germany didn't really directly help Japan all that much in the war in Asia and vice versa. So, yeah, and we don't really learn about that a whole lot in the English-speaking world, you know, what happened in the war in Asia, right? The war in Asia is Pearl Harbor, maybe, you know, Iwo Jima, which is actually Iwo To, but that's another issue. Um, I mean, there's the, there, there's the Battle of Okinawa, which... If you have a really detailed history teacher, you might get. And then you have the atomic bomb of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and the war is over. That's kind of the war in, you know, Asia for most... I'll I'll say this. For most people in the U.S., and I'm going to guess most people in the English-speaking world. That's kind of the war in Asia. So... Let's do a super, 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 super quick version of some of the highlights of the Asian theater of World War II. Um, so, late 1930s, Japan goes all colonial, right? Starts trying to take over pretty much all of Asia. Uh, so, the main conflict is the Second Sino-Japanese War. Now, Japan and China had fought a war in the late 1800s which Japan won. And that kind of signaled that, oh, okay, Japan is now the chief military power in the Far East. And then a few, 10 years later, Japan defeats Russia in a war, which is a big surprise. And okay, now Japan needs to be taken seriously militarily by the Western powers. Anyway, right? So Japan, though, 18, uh, 1894, 1895, First Sino-Japanese War, and then late 1930s, you have the Second Sino-Japanese War, which then becomes the Asian theater of World War II. Okay, so, um, right, so Japan is, in the early 1900s, Japan is, uh, they they go on to colonize places like the Korean Peninsula, um, a lot of China, uh, especially the Manchuria, which is the uh, kind of the northeast of China. Uh, Taiwan is a, a full colony of Japan, right? They, Japan even kind of starts spreading to Southeast Asia and even gets into South Asia, right? South Asia, right? So I actually have uh, a, um, a a Japanese a, a World War Two era. Japanese currency that's actually Japanese rupees, 
Okay? So, Japan is really stretching out and trying to take over all of Asia in the late 30s, early 40s. So, like I say, by the time Japan... So, so by the time World War II pull, pulls the Second Sino-Japanese War into a larger conflict, right? Into the world, you know... So Sino-Japanese War becomes World War II. At this point, Japan is full-on colonial power mode with all the shitty stuff that comes with that, right? And World War II happens, and the U.S. bombs the crap out of Japan, including Tokyo. Um, in a single operation, it's called Operation Meeting House, I believe was the name of the, the bombing run. Uh, it happened the night's... It happened March 9th into the morning of March 10th in 1945. So very near the end of the war, but a few months before the end, right? So the U.S. bombs Tokyo. And 41 square kilometers, which is 16 square miles, are destroyed in this single night's bombing. And estimates are some upwards of 100,000 civilians died and... Like, a million people are made homeless. Now, I am not here to litigate whether or not the U.S. did the right thing. Um, some people have called the bombing of Tokyo a war crime uh, due to the targeting of civilian infrastructure. Now, at the same time, the industry in Tokyo was really spread out, and you have factories within residential neighborhoods. So, right... So to, to, for, for the U.S. to destroy Japan's capacity to produce war material, like so, I, I say I'm not a war expert, but yeah, it's it's not an easy question to answer. So I'm just going to leave it here. But just know, right, right or wrong, a lot of Tokyo, a whole lot of Tokyo was completely leveled in World War II. And then it's a very quick side note. Uh, this is this is a big reason why in the 1980s, early 1990s, Tokyo was kind of considered this super modern place. And that's because the entire city, more or less, had been rebuilt in, you know, the 30 or 40 years leading up to the 80s and 90s. I mean, actually, I mean, World War II was, in fact, the second time in the 20th century that Tokyo had to be rebuilt. Right, 1923, you have the Kanto, the Great Kanto earthquake, the big earthquake in Tokyo that there were. It happened right before lunchtime, so everyone had their cooking fires going, and fires after the earthquake went on and leveled a huge portion of the city. So, 1923, and then again, 1944, 1945, Tokyo is leveled twice in you know a few decades. So that's why. Tokyo of the 80s, early 90s, is this super, super modern city. It's not that anymore. Anyway, so there's our background for today's story, right? We have colonialism. We have carpet bombing. Okay, so it's June 1946 in the Shibuya district of Tokyo. Now, not a lot of, well, okay, for being honest, Pretty much nothing is functioning fully at this point, right? It's less than a war, than, it's less than a year from the war, right? And there is this scarcity of pretty much everything, which leads 
not surprisingly, to black markets, right? At this point in history, you know, 1946, black markets are literal markets, right? You go to a black market, you buy the things you need. And in the Shibuya area, so don't think Shibuya of the, you know, now. Think this is completely different, Shibuya 1946, right? In Shibuya, one of the largest black markets is controlled by Chinese residents of Japan, which in this case really means it, it's, confu- it, it's it's people who are from Taiwan. Um, remember that this is before the split in the People's Republic of China and the Republic of China. So, you know, mainland China, Taiwan, they're still one thing at this point. Um, Japan didn't fully colonize all of China, but it did fully colonize Taiwan. So there are a lot of Taiwanese Chinese in Japan at this point. And um, yeah, so from that, for the rest of this this conversation, this rest of the story, if I say Chinese, if I say Taiwanese, I mean the same thing. I know obviously in you know 2021, that is not the case. You know, 2021, Taiwan, China, different things. 1946, they're the same thing, okay? So if I say Chinese, if I say Taiwanese, I'm talking about the same group of people. Okay, so, uh, right. So so we have in the Shibuya area, there is this, right, there's a Taiwanese-controlled black market. Um, oh, and another, just another quick note here. Um, this is an important term for today's conversation. Zainichi. Um, it means residing in Japan is the literal meaning. And it means a foreigner who is residing in Japan, although it's almost exclusively used to refer to people, um, usually Korean or of Chinese, Taiwanese ethnicity, who have people who have lived in Japan for most, if not all of their lives, you know, due to colonialism. Um, in modern day Japan, I, I've talked about this in the rate when I've talked about racism in Japan, a lot of them, they've lived their entire lives in Japan, but they don't have Japanese resident, uh, uh, citizenship. So anyway, so Zainichi, important term for today. Remember that one. All right. So um, uh, anyway, so we have these, the Zainichi uh, Taiwanese are controlling a major black market in Tokyo. And, right, this does not sit well with a lot of Japanese people, including the police. Because racism. Now, the police ordered the Taiwanese-run black market to close down, which was met, not surprisingly, with protests and, in fact, some minor violence. Nothing at this point too major, just some, you know, minor scuffles, minor scraps. And... So yeah, that, this is going on in the Shibuya area. Now, at the same time, you have the Kanto Matsudagumi Yakuza group. So the Yakuza, of course, they're the organized crime. Of course, they're, organ- they're going to run the black markets, right? They are running, so this specific Yakuza group, the Kanto, which is Tokyo area, Kanto Matsudagumi, they are running another black market in Tokyo in the Shimbashi area. And 
at this time, oh, this is just kind of a, a quick aside here. So the Matsudagumi, they were run by a woman at this time, right? A female mob boss, Matsuda Yoshiko. She was the wife of the first boss of the Matsudagumi. So she is literally girl boss. Um, maybe not the best one to claim, but, you know, literal girl boss. Ma- mafia style, you know, organized crime style, but yeah, girl boss. Um, anyway, back to our story. So Matsudagumi, they were putting pressure on the black markets in Tokyo. They're trying, they were trying to push out all the foreigners from the black market business. Because the black markets are incredibly lucrative. I mean, obviously, if they weren't, they wouldn't exist. From what I was reading, apparently, a vendor in the black market could earn 50 yen a day. Now, that doesn't mean a lot. Compare that, though, to the teacher's salary at the same time. So a teacher in the same era, they were earning roughly 300 yen a month, right? So black market vendor, 50 yen a day. Teacher, 300 yen a month. So you have these vendors who, you know, if they're good at it, they have the potential to earn four, maybe five times the salary of a teacher. And yeah, so these black markets, right? And of course, the Matsudagumi, they're not the only one. The black markets were very, very open, very public about their existence. Um, I, I was reading of, about one of them, and there was actually, there's actually a picture I found it on, online. Some of these black markets, they had these big signs, right? Just like a regular store. You know, advertising their business. And one of them had a sign that was illuminated by like 117 uh, light bulbs or something. And it was visible several kilometers, like over a mile away. It's like, oh, look, there's the black market. It's a very bright black market, but it's a black market. So, right. The police, they're turning a blind eye to all this because, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, I mean, this is pretty much what always happens in this kind of situation, right? Post-war, an economy is completely trashed, right? The official supply chains, they can't keep up with demand, right? I mean, this is a war-ravaged community. Remember, I mean, it's hard. We, in, if people have been to Japan in you know modern times, it's hard to remember that. But 1946, Japan was pretty well destroyed, especially the big cities. Um so, right, everything is destroyed. There's no real functioning market at this point. So, right, the official supply chains are trashed. The underworld, they have their ways of getting supplies, of getting food, of getting necessities. And they can, they, they can provide for the people. And the people will support these illegal businesses because, I mean, what else are you going to do? Starve? I don't think so. Right, and like I say, the Matsudagumi, they weren't alone, right? These are, there are these black markets, each one controlled by a different, you know, Yakuza group, a different crime family, essentially. And, yeah, uh, pretty much all of the Japanese actors in this story, which includes the police, remember, 
they want to push these third country people out of business. Right? They don't want them in the business anymore, right? People, these Chinese vendors, these Korean vendors, no, these we want these black markets to be run by good, honest Japanese citizens or whatever. Um, so that is the issue of, you know, that's how the, the, the post-war era plays into this today's story, which we haven't gotten to yet. We'll get there, I promise. How does colonialism play a part in this story? Well, due to places like the Korean Peninsula, like Manchuria, uh, which I'd say Northeast China, uh, Taiwan, just being straight up colonies of Japan in this uh, in the immediate pre-war era, right? There were lots of these third country people living in Japan. And Japan was as racist as pretty much anywhere else in the world. So the, these third country people, they're not entirely welcome by everyone. Sure, some people have no problems, but there's a lot of people like, no, we can't have this. They're not Japanese or, you know, whatever. And at the same time, so Japan had lost all of its colonies, right, in the war. And that meant that there were lots of Japanese people who had to come home and be repatriated. And, you know, this is a war-ravaged country with no jobs. So, yeah, you have this fairly large, prominent, non-Japanese population, right? The Zainichi Koreans, the Zainichi Taiwanese. And they're doing, some of them are doing pretty well running black markets. And you have all these, you know, Japanese citizens being repatriated with no jobs and well, you know, the the, the Yakuza's trying to push the push out the, uh, the 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 Koreans and the Chinese the Chinese from running black markets. The police are trying to push them out too. So yeah. Right, colonialism is screwing things up again. And so despite GHQ with general headquarters, which is the they they are kind of they're the ones running Japan like the outside forces running Japan at this time. Um, it's not unlike the partitioning of Germany, right? Um, but any, well, anyway, that the, the, the GHQ, it's primarily the U.S. doing it, but the other, yeah, the allied powers have some say in what's going on in Japan. Um, right. So, right, the GHQ saying third party, these third country people, they should be treated as much as possible as full citizens with full rights. And of course, that doesn't actually happen. Um, and we have an ensuing turf war, which is today's story. Um, honestly, the background's more of the story than the actual story today. So back to July. Sorry, I guess I think I said June. I think I meant July. So we have July 19th. 1946. And members of one of the local Yakuza groups, I think this was the Matsuba. Not the, so you have, the, you have the Matsuba and the Matsuda Gumi. It's very confusing. But anyway, don't, it, that doesn't matter. So one of the members of one of the Yakuza groups, one of the crime families, tells the police, oh, by the way, there are going to be, you know, 300 or so foreigners and I, you know, probably Taiwanese, maybe some Koreans thrown in at this point, 
right, who are living in Tokyo, and they are planning on gathering today in front of the Shibuya police station with weapons. Right. And so the police mobilized, of course. And of course, the Yakuza did too. And by that evening, so again, July 19th, 1946, by the evening, you have some 400 police officers, right? They've assembled at the Shibuya police station and several hundred members of the Yakuza of various crime families. Um, and many of the Yakuza are come armed with bamboo spears and I presume other weapons. Um, the references I saw were, you know, sharpened bamboo because bamboo, bamboo spears are pretty nasty. Um, you can do a lot of damage with one of those. So anyway, we got the we got the police, we got the Yakuza, and around 9 p.m. that night, gangs of Zainichi Taiwanese young men showed up, also armed, um, and, well, all hell broke loose, right? There were clubs, bamboo spears, metal pipes, uh, even some Molotov cocktails, some small firearms, probably little handguns and things. And the fighting just goes on for a couple of hours, right? Just absolute chaos in the streets in front of the Shibuya police station. This is all going down in front of the police station, by the way, right? And there are 400 police officers there. But the fighting goes on for, like, say, a couple hours. And this incident comes to be known as the Shibuya incident, and... The fighting was primarily between the Japanese and the Taiwanese gangs. And it does seem, though, that the police were maybe not active in the fight, but they were definitely on the side of the Yakuza, of the Japanese gangs. And, I mean, of course they were. I mean, racism, they're doing a racism. And, right, in the end... At the end of these couple hours of fighting, eight people were dead. Seven of them were Taiwanese men. And one was a police officer, a Japanese police officer. At least 34 other Taiwanese uh, men were injured, seriously enough that it got reported. Um, I'm going to guess, of course, I was that probably pretty much everyone in the fight went home with bruises and cuts and scrapes and things. You know, maybe even some, you know, uh, concussions and things like that, but nothing that was, you know, the for the point they had to they had to get treatment. Um, so yeah, that happened. A couple hours of street fighting with bamboo spears, pipes, everything, and of course the only people that got arrested, the only people that got arrested. I mean, is it any question? Some you know forty odd Taiwanese men were arrested. As far as I can tell zero Yakuza members were arrested, right? Of course. And the men that were arrested were put on trial and 35 sentences were handed out. I couldn't tell, the, the wording was a little vague. I couldn't tell if 35 of the, of the men who were arrested got convicted or if some of them had multiple convictions, but 35 total convictions. The sentences ranged from hard labor to deportation, right? Some of them got sent back to Taiwan. Taiwan? Taiwan? Taiwan. I said that very strangely. 
got the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Um, yeah, a lot. Some of them were sent back to Taiwan, and now it should be noted at this point that nationalist China. So what ends up being the Republic of China, you know, Taiwan. It, it, this is this is still a few years before that happens, but the nationalists are still in charge in Tai in in China, and they are actually part of GHQ, right? And so, because China was an ally of the you know on the on the Allied side of the, of World War Two with you know with the U.S. and the, and you know uh, Russia. Great Britain and you know whatever. Um, so China had a role in, uh, in 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 the administration of Japan in this period. Not a major role. The U.S. was doing most of the work, but China had a had a say in what was being done in Japan. And the Chinese nationalist government used their power to make sure that their compatriots, their their the Zainichi Jap, the Taiwanese, the Zainichi Chinese would get better treatment than they might otherwise. And from what I was reading, this is kind of a source of some conflict at this point between the Taiwanese and Korean Zainichi communities at this point and going kind of going forward, right? Because the 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 Chinese leadership, you know, with their their say in GHQ's decisions, Right, they can get better conditions for their for Chinese nationals, or some of them are Japanese citizens at this point. It's it's confusing, but the ethnic Chinese, right, they get better treatment than the ethnic Koreans would from from you know because the Koreans are not part of GHQ, right? The Chinese are, so there is some tension between the Zainichi Taiwanese and Zainichi Korean communities at this point. Um, so, right, but of course, like I say, the only people that are arrested in, in initially are all Taiwanese people. Now, the police don't get off completely scot-free in this uh, Shibuya incident, right? Certainly not in the court of public opinion and not in real court either. The general public felt like the police had screwed up. Right, they'd flubbed the situation. I'm not exactly sure what they people would have rather the police done. Right, I don't know if they would have rather the helped the yakuza more or just stop the thing entirely. I, I I didn't figure that out exactly. It could be both, quite possibly. Right, maybe the the right wingers would have wanted the police to be more active in you know busting some heads. You know, be on the side of the Yakuza, actually actively fighting more. Um, and people on the left maybe said, no, the police should have done more to completely stop it and just, you know, stop both the Yakuza and the, the Taiwanese gangs. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, so anyway, the government was, in fact, forced to put a police officer on trial. I didn't, didn't look like a lot. Of, I think it might have just been one. But still, this was something kind of unheard of. Um, the police having some accountability in court. Which, like I said, that was kind of a big deal. And some things never change, eh? But, yeah, anyway, that... Uh, I, I'm not, I couldn't find the exact... Um, 
outcome of that trial. I'm sure if I dug a little further, I would. But even if, even if I'm going to go out on a limb and say, even if the police officer was found guilty of something, probably didn't suffer a lot of consequences. Just going to say that's probably the case. Um, Because some things are pretty universal, unfortunately. So, yeah, that is the story of the Shibuya incident, right? A pretty violent street battle in front of a police station in 1946. Um, I mean, ultimately, it was a pretty, you know, it it was a relatively minor incident in the grand scheme of things, but it, it certainly is an interesting window into a lot of issues that Japan was facing right, in the immediate post-war era, 1945, 1946, you know, even up to 1950, um, Japan was a very, very different place than it is now. So let's leave it there for today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever it is that you cast your pods. Um, The podcast is available on most major platforms, as far as I know. I know it's on Apple. Uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Pandora, maybe some other places. I don't know. those. those if it's on other places, they aren't very major. Uh, but anyway, if it's not on your favorite platform, the one you want to listen to it on, let me know and I will get to that. Um, you can find the Twitter for the podcast at JustAnotherCast. You can email the show at justanotherjerkpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find all the information, uh, website, tinyurl.com slash jerkpod. Find the Twitter, find the email, um, find all the links to all the various podcatchers, whatever you want. That is all for me. I'm Jonathan Isaacson, and I'm out. Peace.